welcome to Ancient Heroes, where we explore the mysteries and myths of the ancient world. I'm your host, Patrick Garvey. In today's episode, we continue on our search to understand what really happened during the Greek Age of Heroes and the Bronze Age, and whether or not the Trojan War really took place. We speak to Mediterranean archaeologist Josh O'Browers, who is one of the top experts on early Greek warfare and offers a very different perspective than what we've heard in previous episodes. Uh, so, you know, hearing the top people in the world disagree a little bit about what we know and what may have happened is always interesting. Um, I will say that, that we had some audio issues during parts of this episode, but I did my best to edit things and enhance things, so hopefully that's not a distraction. And as always, you can find show notes and links to everything we talk about at ancientheroes.net. So let's jump right in. Okay, so um, I'm here with Joshua Browers. Is that the correct pronunciation? Yeah, sure, it's fine. Okay, great. Um, Joshua is a Mediterranean archaeologist and academic with a focus on the warfare of early Greece. Um, He's written books on Greek warfare as well as Greek mythology. And he is the editor-in-chief of Ancient World Magazine, uh, which I've been looking at a lot over the last week and has some awesome articles. Um, So, um, Joshua, I came across uh, your article uh, where you were kind of critiquing the historical accuracy of the way the warriors are depicted in the new video game, A Total War Saga Troy. And that was really fascinating to me. And that led me to uh, the video where you go through the game Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um, And I'm not much of a gamer myself, but that particular game always looked really cool to me. And I think I might try to play it at my friend's house or something that has that, that has the PlayStation or whatever it is. So um, it looks awesome. And so I just sort of dove into that video. I still need to finish it. Um, I've been trying to catch up and read all your stuff over the last few days. And it really is, um, excellent stuff for those of us interested in the Mycenaeans and the Trojan War and all of that kind of thing. Um, so I'm really interested, uh, as you may know, we've been uh, on the podcast looking into the truth behind the Trojan War, which is obviously kind of a controversial and ongoing debate. Um, we've also been looking at what we really know about the Mycenaean era of Greece. And I, I want to touch on that as well. And I'm wondering, before we get into kind of what the evidence says and what your views are and, and that kind of thing, can you sort of provide a little bit of context for listeners about kind of what, we talk, what we're talking about when we say Mycenaean Greece and why some people refer to that age as the age of heroes and that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, sure. It's a bit of a complicated <laughs> issue. Um, well, first of all, Mycenaean Greece is um, the, the late Bronze Age on the mainland, basically. And um, if you look at the, at the Bronze Age in general, in the Aegean, there are three large geographical areas, which are the mainland, the Cyclades, and Crete. And um, Heinrich Schliemann, in the late 19th century, excavated first in Troy, supposedly with the Iliad in hand to show that, you know, it really happened. Um, according to him. Uh, so he found a, a city at Hisarlik, the remains of multiple cities actually stacked on top of each other. 
that he said were one of them was was uh, the Troy of Priam. And after he had to go away from there because he'd basically stolen some of the treasure that he'd unearthed <laughs> from uh, from the Ottoman Empire, he went to uh, Greece to basically do the same thing there, show that the um, heroes from the Iliad really existed by excavating first at Mycenae. Now, this wasn't as dramatic as, as you might imagine or what you've heard, um, because the fortifications around Mycenae had been visible for centuries, basically, and already in ancient times, people thought that these were the remains of a bygone era. So he excavated there and he found the, um, the shaft graves in Grave Circle A, which had loads of treasure, was the, the, the richest archaeological find before the discovery of, uh, of the tomb of Tutankhamun by Howard Carter in uh, the early 20th century. And then he also went to excavate the Tyrans. And he had this idea that the um, civilization that he had unearthed in the mainland dated to the Late Bronze Age, and therefore also referred to as Mycenaean, because Mycenae was the most important city. Um, that the origins of this Mycenaean civilization could be found in um, Crete. But before he could excavate in Crete, and he tried to actually buy Knossos, he died. And then it was left to Arthur Evans, who was a British archaeologist, to go and buy the Kefala Hill in Crete and excavate there. And that's where he found a large um, uh, complex, a court complex that he also termed a palace because of the influence of the Mycenaean archaeology. And um, he discovered that this civilization there was actually older than on the mainland. So his argument was that indeed the people from Crete, which he referred to as Minoans, uh, had exerted an influence over the rest of the Aegean uh, and came to dominate it uh, culturally and possibly also politically. And he also came up with a scheme, a chronological scheme, where he divided Cretan history in an early, middle, and late stage, which is, you know, very 19th century, basically, because it's the rise, it's the flowering, and it's the collapse of a civilization. So the... Um, the earliest part, the uh, the early Bronze Age, would be the rise of Minoan civilization, the Middle Bronze Age, the Middle Minoan period. Uh, so the first half of the second millennium BC would be the flowering of the Minoan civilization, and then the late Bronze Age would be the collapse of Minoan civilization, when on the mainland, the um, uh, culture there flourished. So in this tripartite chronological scheme was also adopted by archaeologists working on the mainland and on the Cyclades. So you have on the mainland, you have Helladic, so early Helladic, middle Helladic, and late Helladic. And late Helladic is the same, uh, synonymous basically with Mycenaean civilization. So this is very roughly how the entire system came to be. And so Mycenaean refers to the late Bronze Age, late Helladic civilization. And the Minoan palaces on Crete collapse around 1450 BC. And one of the causes of the collapse, the very traditional explanation, is that they were conquered by the Mycenaeans. So when all of the palaces on Minoan and Crete get destroyed, uh, Knossos is the only one that gets rebuilt, possibly also Chania, but we can't excavate there because the modern city is on top of the ancient city. Um, and um, Knossos is the only thing that, that continues in the form of a palace, Mycenaean style, let's say. Uh, and we also find linear B tablets there, which is a script that, is, uh, that contains Greek and is associated with the Mycenaeans. So the idea is that the Mycenaeans either conquer Crete or they, uh, they take advantage of the disruptions on Crete around 1450 BC and establish a hegemony that focuses on Knossos. And that's basically when also the, the flowering of Mycenaean civilization begins, if you want to call it that. Okay, okay, great. So what, what 
So when we talk about the flowering of Mycenaean civilization, is that a, what, what century is that happening? Um, well, you can divide the Late Bronze Age in roughly three periods. So you have the early Mycenaean era, which is sometimes you know, similar to a system that's also used on Crete, referred to as the pre-palatial era. So that's the early Late Bronze Age. So that's from the era of the shaft graves that Schliemann uncovered, which date to, um, let's say, the, the, between 1700 and um, 1500, 1450, something like that. Um, you have the shaft grave era, um, so the pre-palatial era, and then you have the actual palatial era, which starts uh, around 1400 and ends around 1200 BC, when all the Mycenaean palaces get destroyed, basically. Uh, even though it's not you know, a single event. Uh, Guy Middleton did a study of the collapse of uh, uh, Mycenaean palaces, and it turns out that, that it's a process that took decades to complete. But anyway, usually 1200 BC is the end point. So you have yeah. the palatial period proper for Mycenae is between 1400 and 1200 BC. But for example, the, um, the big fortifications around Mycenae that you see, uh, those were built in two phases. So you have this monumental wall that they built around 1350 BC. Uh, which covers a smaller area than what you see now because it was all revamped and restructured around 1250 BC when they extend the wall. So that grave circle that um, Schliemann excavated, which has these deep shaft graves with loads of uh, uh, skeletons in them with rich finds, um, they, that grave circle gets uh, included within the new structure of the, the new fortifications of this new phase. They also construct the Mycenaean Lion Gate so the main entrance to the, uh, to the citadel, uh, they also extend uh, a bit in the northwestern corner to safeguard a cistern with water. They add a, a sally gate and all this sort of stuff. So what you see in 1250 BC is that they take the existing fortifications, destroy part of them and extend the fortified area. And so what you see is in the 14th century, the Mycenaeans begin to come into their own. And in the 13th century, that's really the, the where they, they reach the zenith of their power, basically. This is also when we see that uh, probably Mycenae itself extends its influence across the islands of the Aegean and into Anatolia even, with uh, perhaps uh, uh, a presence of Mycenaeans in uh, Milavata, which is uh, classical Miletus. Okay, okay, cool. So, um Okay, so that, that gives me a, definitely a better understanding of the timeline. I'd like to touch on sort of this Trojan War controversy and then maybe circle back um, to a little bit more about the Mycenaeans. Um, so as you well know, I'm sure, there's continuing controversy around um, the historical truth behind the Trojan War, or lack thereof. Um, this has been going on for a long time. Um, it's estimated that Homer, uh, the final kind of versions of the Iliad and the Odyssey were um, developed sometime in the 8th century, I think. And please correct me if I'm mistaken about that. But he was, he was writing about or um, doing oral poetry about an era that was much older, um, uh, that was sometime around 1200 BC. And so um, there's controversy to what extent uh, the Odyssey and the Iliad actually reflect the Bronze Age. Um, so I was looking through your articles and I noticed that your perspective and your kind of, um, you know, opinion as an expert around this was a little bit different than, um, some of the other opinions I've been getting lately on the podcast. And I noticed a couple quotes and I don't want to sum up your view with, 
with a small quote or anything like that. Um, so I'll let you elaborate. Um, but one quote that I, I got from an article was that um, most academics no longer maintain that Homer has much, if anything, useful to say about the Mycenaean era. And then in another quote, um, you said, the epics are pretty much useless as a source for the Mycenaean era. And so I just wanted to kind of frame it with that and then let you kind of um, elaborate on that a little bit. Uh, why, why do you feel that uh, the Homeric epics, you know, don't really give us much of a glimpse into that Bronze Age era that they supposedly are describing in, you know, in his work? Uh, yeah, well, this has to do with, um, well, there, there is a, there is a, let me start with, with something to paraphrase uh, Anthony Snodgrass, who's an archaeologist. He, he's written a book, um, Homer and the Artists, which I have here, it's this one, um, where uh, the central tenet in his book is he, he looks at early Greek art. So this is art of the 8th and 7th centuries BC and the 6th century BC. And he says that the general assumption is the primacy of the text, in this case, the Iliad and the Odyssey. And he says what people always claim when they look at early Greek art is that obviously it's inspired by, by Homer. And he shows in this book that that's clearly not the case until the later 6th century BC, when for the first time you really encounter uh, um, scenes that seem inspired by the Homeric text. Um, and this is sort of the thing that also happens with, with Troy, that there's a lot of reading into Homer uh, and, and a lot of wishful thinking in, in thinking it takes place in the late Bronze Age. And how this came to be, I will, I will briefly explain. Um, Homer is usually assumed to have lived around 700 BC. And recent tendencies are to date him even slightly later. Uh, there's the work from Hans von Weiss, for example, in Status Warriors, his book, and he's written loads of books. Uh, he's very influential in the field of, of Greek warfare and Homer studies. And his argument is basically, if you look at what Homer describes and the situations, the art, etc. My my PhD supervisor, Jan Paul Krilat, wrote a very detailed article back in the day that's available on his academia profile, where he just looks at the material culture in Homer and compares it to other periods. And it's very obvious that he's very much 700 BC at the earliest, possibly early 7th century BC, because there are things like uh, the shield of Achilles, the way that it's described. It's a metal, it has a metal facing with relief decorations, we assume, depicting a city at war and a city at peace, and it's circular. And uh, that kind of art, you know, circular um, um, shapes with uh, scenes on them that's very typical for the ancient near east uh, in the 8th 7th 6th centuries bc you don't really find it earlier so you know that's that's something where you're like you know what homer describes seems to be mostly based on his own experiences the, the palace of odysseus for example with the, the big hall that's central uh, with a dung heap in the court where the dog is on top of that uh, it's more like uh, a large farmstead or the large houses that we find in the 8th and 7th centuries BC, and it doesn't look at all like a Mycenaean palace with its complex structure, its stone and mud brick walls, um, the, the various courts that it has. There is no sign in Homer of the bureaucracy that we find that we assume to have existed in the late Bronze Age because all these Mycenaean palaces had archives with tablets in them and they recorded loads of stuff. Um, 
the the roofs in uh, uh, in Homer sometimes appear to be flat, other times they appear to be thatched, which is doesn't really fit with the late Bronze Age either. Uh, in the Bronze Age, most roofs were um, flat, and um, there's loads of stuff like this. There are temples in uh, Homer, whereas there aren't really temples in uh, the Bronze Age uh, that are that compare. Um, there's the social structure. You have these minor kings, basically, that that rule over this sort of warrior aristocracy. And then there's the mass of people that is mostly amorphous. Whereas if we look at the linear B tablets from the Mycenaean era, there is a very strict hierarchy. There are different magistrates and officials. Uh, there are um, uh, provincial governors, what you see in the Pilos uh, tablets, for example. So it's it's completely different in that regard. So. What you see in Homer and what we know existed in the Late Bronze Age are two different things. But the idea that Homer somehow reflects the Late Bronze Age is partially the, the Greeks' fault. Because in ancient times also Herodotus and Thucydides, when they start the historical accounts, they start with the Trojan War. Because that's one of the earliest historical events in their perspective. And they also attach dates to that in the sense that they say it occurred this many centuries ago. And if you look what all these different writers say, all these centuries, then you arrive at a date somewhere in the 13th century BC or a little later. I don't recall the exact date, but if you look at Virgil's Aeneid, for example, if you compare that, I think Aeneas uh, flees Troy in the 10th century or something. So even this 13th century date, around 1200 BC, whatever, there's a lot of room to maneuver here. The point of the ancients giving this date wasn't to, to say, oh, it really happened, you know, at this exact date, but to emphasize that it happened very long ago, because for them it happened in an era that was nebulous and unknown. And so um, it happens to, to you know, correspond with a date that we now know through archaeology that was the late Bronze Age. So, and it was, of course, also fueled by the discoveries that Schliemann did it, at Troy and at Mycenae, where he excavated and he said, oh, you know, this, this civilization. And he deliberately went there explicitly to prove the historical reality of the Homeric epics. It's just that as research has progressed, the, the initial enthusiasm people had for equating the, um, for saying the Homeric epics are a source for the late Bronze Age, that sort of dissipated over time, over the course of the first half of the 20th century, as archaeology revealed more and more about what you know, Mycenaean, uh, what the Mycenaean Bronze Age was really like. And initially with the Linear B tablets, also people were like, oh, maybe we will discover an early version of the Iliad, but that turned out not to be the case because these are all very bureaucratic documents where they say this much oil or this much grain to this person, this person gets a wheel on a horse, this person goes here, that sort of stuff. So it's very, uh, it, it's, the, the texts are, are quite, um, uh, uh, not boring. <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't say boring. It depends on your perspective. But if you're looking <laughs> for, if you look for, you know, a, a Mycenaean linear B text of the the Iliad, then then you end up disappointed. So right. over time, there was this growing skepticism that the Homeric epics could actually be used for uh, as a source for historical inquiry. And there are some people that are very skeptical, like. Oliver Dickinson and um, Anthony Snodgrass, who say that the uh, epics contain such a mix of different elements from different eras grown over time that you can't really use it to as a source for anything, that you should just use it for literature. Dickinson later wrote that, you know, if you want to use it, then uh, the Homeric epics can only refer back to the, to the early Iron Age. And with Hans von Weiss and other people, it's like, no, the, the Homeric epics really reflect the conditions of Homer's own time. But there are, of course, 
elements where people say, well, this clearly has to be Bronze Age. I mean, Troy was completely unimportant in Homer's own era. Um, personally, I have always this idea that Homer, maybe to, to sort of put in, we, we don't really know who Homer was. We don't know if it's a name or a title. And we also don't know exactly where he lived. Uh, the, the Turks favor that he lived in Smyrna because Izmir, of course, is Turkish. And the Greeks, on the other hand, uh, say that he was from the island of Chios because Chios is nowadays still Greek. So there's also some modern political stuff going on there, but he came from Asia Minor in any case. Um, so it could very well be that his story of, of a war against Troy was sort of inspired by what he saw uh, uh, in Asia Minor, where you have kingdoms that are waging wars and besieging other cities. Uh, Smyrna itself was captured eventually by the Lydians. Um, so this, this sort of thing may have been a, uh, an influence, but Troy itself was not an important city in this place. It, it, was barely a city at this point. So that's one element where they say, well, you know, you know, this, this must date back to another time. And the obvious thing would be the Bronze Age, which, you know, fair enough. Um, but other elements can be explained in different ways. For example, the, they often say, well, you know, the Mycenaean political geography is very similar to what we see in Homer, which is slightly deceiving because people have been piecing together the Mycenaean geography based on what they read in Homer. So, but a lot of people have forgotten this in the meantime. So they say, oh, you know, all these places, all these Mycenaean places, they're mentioned in Homer. No, we've identified places, you know, settlements in the late Bronze Age. And based on what Homer says, we've, we've attached these Homeric names to some of these places. The elements that are supposedly Bronze Age in Homer can easily be explained by saying, well, you know, these are places that were obviously important back in the day because of the way they looked at what people could still see. Um, there is also the interesting thing that, for example, the grave circle that Schliemann um, excavated was apparently still venerated as a sacred place in classical times because they found a small plaque that read for the hero on the side. So clearly people in classical times were like this, these, this large circular monument with these tombs here, this must be something important. These must be, you know, where the heroes of old lived and then, you know, fantasy imagination film and the rest but the texts as we have them the, the form that we have them they were heavily edited in the Hellenistic era and the texts themselves may not have actually been written down until the mid 6th century BC there's this tradition that under the Pisistrates in Athens the texts were committed to papyrus for uh, in, a, in a more or less definitive uh, form and also if you look at art um, what Snodgrass said in his book, Homer and the Artists, there is no evidence for Homer being of particular importance until the later 6th century BC, when you really see that artists also start depicting scenes from Homer, whereas before they were perfectly happy with depicting, you know, the, the Trojan horse or uh, Achilles stro uh, um, uh, uh, chasing after Prince Troilus and that sort of stuff. All scenes that are of little importance or not mentioned at all in Homer but that you encounter time and time again in early Greek art. So there's this whole trajectory where it's obvious that whatever the Homeric epics were, they ended up being something slightly different perhaps in the later 6th century BC. They, don't, they cannot date much earlier than 700 BC and the information that they contain, the material culture, the social political structure, uh, all those elements are very clearly of Homer's own era. Even something like, I mean, this is an example that people like to bring up, uh, Merionis's helmet, uh, which um, Odysseus borrows in Book Tenth of uh, of the Iliad, is this Borsk tusk, Borsk tusk helmet. 
So it's a helmet, uh, probably made of leather, covered in uh, plaques cut from the tusks of boars. Um, between 25 and 75 are about necessary for one helmet. So this is a this is quite an expensive thing uh, to make, and uh, we only find those archaeologically speaking in the Bronze Age. We find them on Crete and on the mainland. Uh, we found actual examples in uh, tombs, but also depictions of bronze, of Borstas helmets on wall paintings, in uh, small ivories, etc., etc. Uh, so these were a, a common form of helmet for the late Bronze Age, very typical. You don't find them archaeologically in Homer's own era. So this is where people say, well, you know, this is clearly something that belongs to the Mycenaean era. And the response to that is maybe. <laughs> Um, but we know from the historical records that uh, um, Greeks of the historical era frequently encountered um, finds from other periods. Uh, the Tholos tombs, for example, that are typical for the Mycenaean era, they are these large underground beehive-like uh, structures um, made of stone, uh, cut into the soft hills with a large uh, dromos or causeway that leads to the entrance. Uh, the treasury of Atreus is an example close to Mycenae itself. Of course, it's not a treasury and it didn't belong to Atreus, but that's the name it was given. And they all have Homeric names for the most part, like the tomb of Clytemnestra and that sort of stuff. These were rich uh, tombs where people were buried in uh, during the late Bronze Age, and they've all been robbed. And they were probably already robbed of all their contents in ancient times because it's very easy. Um, some of them, there's just the foundations left because of erosion. It would have been exposed to the elements. You can imagine a farmer plowing somewhere and then suddenly there's this big hole in the ground. Where does this go to? I see all gold at the bottom. Let's rob it of this place. So it's very possible that a Borstas helmet could have been found like this in a tomb or could even have been uh, an heirloom. Uh, if you look at the description in the Iliad itself, it's a very detailed description of where this helmet came from, because object biography is very important in the Iliad, you know. Uh, things are gifts and are bestowed from father to son, from friend to friend, and all this sort of stuff. And this helmet, too, has a very long history within the poem, which is sort of like Homer saying, you know, this, this weird thing... <laughs> uh, it, it's clearly something that that's old already in in Homer's mind. So this is this is clearly something that he's also interested. Yeah. So all this sort of stuff, it, it's very clear to when that you can't just use the Homeric epics as a source for the for the Lake Bronze Age. There there are all these major differences, these very systemic differences. Like um, in Homer, everybody gets cremated. In the Bronze Age, no one gets cremated basically. So it it's that. That's also a fundamental difference. It's it's typical Iron Age to cremate people, whereas in the Bronze Age we bury people. So that's too. There, there's so there's all this stuff. If you all stack it together, it, it's obvious that you know the Homeric epics cannot be a source for the late Bronze Age, but well, it's it's still used because of this this heritage we have from Schliemann going to Troy and going to Mycenae with the the Iliad in one hand and a shovel in the other and saying I'm going to dig up the truth. So. Well, it seems like, it seems to me, as a non-archaeologist, um, that one of the big problems with all of this is that there's so many people that want this stuff to be historically true. And there's kind of a, a confirmation bias where you hear about, we hear all about the evidence that might point in the direction that there's some link to the Bronze Age, but we don't hear very much when evidence is found to the contrary. And when I was reading your articles, you know, I... 
I just, I'm trying to look at this as objectively as possible. Of course, I think it would be awesome if the Iliad was this accurate description of, you know, the heroic age of Greece and all of this. Um, but I don't want to just believe that just because I want to. So when I was reading your articles, I, you know, I found them to be very persuasive and really getting into a level of detail that I hadn't dug into yet. So um, is the, is the overall uh, kind of thesis you're putting out there, basically that Homer was describing a time period much closer to his own time period. And maybe he was looking back into the past and trying to make sense of it on some level, but it wasn't actually really anything close to what the late bronze age was actually like. Is that a fair summary? Yeah. Well, what you, what you can say is that, um, Homer is describing something that happened in the, the distant, distant past in an age of heroes. Um, if, if you look at um, Hesiod, who is a Boeotian poet who lived more or less contemporaneously with, uh, with Homer, he wrote uh, a few poems, the Theogony and the Works and Days. There's a, a few others that are attributed to him, but it's probably uh, apocryphal. Um, but in the Works and Days, he gives this overview of uh, different... Uh, generations of people. Uh, usually it's translated as ages, but it, he really talks about generations of people because um, in ancient times, the, the, the general idea is that you, that you talk about people, you know, we talk about abstract concepts. It's also why, you know, they always say the Athenians do this instead of saying Athens does this, the Spartans do this, etc. It's always the people that are central. So also Hesiod has these different generations of people and it starts with the golden generation and then a race of, of silver people and then uh, bronze people and then there's this heroic race that he describes which precedes his own uh, generation, the generation of iron, the race of iron, uh, which is wretched as he had says, it's a terrible time to be alive. It's, it's, it's very topical because <laughs> people always assume that they live in the end times, basically. Right. This is what you also see with, with Hesiod. And this whole scheme, probably he derived from, from Near Eastern sources. There's a, a very strong orientalizing vibe to this. Um, so, but he said there was this, 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 this generation of heroes who lived in close association with the gods. Some of them were even demigods, so the offspring of humans and mortals. And uh, these are the people, you know, these are Heracles and Perseus. Uh, this is when the Theban war was fought, so the seven against Thebes and the Epiphanoi. Uh, this is when the Trojan war was fought, because a lot of the people that, that fought in the Trojan war also fought in one of the wars for, for Thebes. So he, Hesiod has this concept of, you know, you have the our contemporary time, and before that, at some point in the past, we don't know exactly when, the genealogies they try to calculate it later, and that, that's when you get Herodotus saying it took place eight, nine hundred years before my time. Um, but so there was this idea, this concept of a of a distant age where you had these heroes roam around, and and Homer does the exact same thing. Because at one point, for example, he, he describes one of his heroes. They also refer to themselves as heroes, specifically. So the Greek word heros is used to, to denote that these are different people than today. And Homer at one point also describes a scene where one of the heroes picks up a boulder to basically throw at someone or to bash a gate in or something. I forget the exact details, but he says he picked up a, a boulder and he picked one up that uh, three or four men living today could not pick up. So also Homer is presenting this as something that took place in a long time ago. The only problem is ancient Greeks didn't have archaeologists. 
Right. Uh, they didn't have historians until the 5th century BC. So they had no real idea of what the past looked like, or even if the past looked very different from their own time. And this is what you see throughout history, of course, that before the advent of uh, professional historical study, before archaeologists, there was no real idea of uh, there being progress or that the past was very different from, from what it is today. So Homer had these stories that had grown, you know, over the course of generations being told from one person to the other. And you can, you can play the telephone game to figure out, you know, how that sort of distorts over time. Uh, so he had this idea that, or a big wars being fought because, you know, you have these cities with these large fortifications and there must, something must have happened. And so you get these stories told over generations. And so Homer tells this story about, you know, a, an event during the 10 year Trojan war, just one episode, uh, in that particular war. And he, he frames this as taking place long ago with these larger-than-life uh, beings, these heroes that are fighting this war. And, but he has no concept of that, you know, he, he has no clear idea in his mind, oh, this took place, you know, in, in the late Bronze Age, so I'd better get to it, because he had no idea what the late Bronze Age was. He had no idea what Mycenaeans were. Uh, so he just uh, assumed that they would, you know, live more or less like, like they did at that time, just maybe grander. So everything is richer, everything is bigger. Uh, they all wear uh, bronze armor. They all have bronze swords, not because he knew that in the Bronze Age they had bronze swords instead of iron, but because bronze is a much nicer material to look at. It's more shiny, it's more attractive. Mm. So, you know, these heroes, they fight with bronze swords and they never have to bend them back into shape. They can cut people's heads off with them, which is very difficult to do with a bronze sword, I've been told. I didn't actually try to do it. <laughs> this is the people that tell me you can't do that. There is a whole simile in uh, the Odyssey. I think it's in book nine or something where there's a, a description of a blacksmith quenching iron, which is very iron age, which is, you know, because in the late bronze age, iron was known mostly for meteorites and some of it was worked, but it wasn't widely used as a material. Um, so this is also something, you know, this, this routine, blacksmith that that quenches iron that that's something that's clearly homer's own age so homer had this idea from it it's set in the distant past but what do i know what the distant past looked like i'm just going to frame it you know in terms that people that are listening to this will understand um which is something that you know if if he somehow managed to create this sort of alien society that was completely different from what his audience was familiar with, his audience would have gone like, what, what kind of science fiction is this? Right. Um, you know, this, this doesn't relate to us. And the popularity of the Homeric epics also suggests that it was very relatable to the people that were listening to it. So that, that's all just a very yeah, practical look at how this sort of stuff works and that Homer didn't attempt to, to create an actual, you know, uh, Mycenaean society. He just took what he knew and then uh, framed the, the stories that he was familiar with around that. Okay, okay. And I think it's, again, it's, it's a romantic idea to think that these stories were passed along for hundreds of years and somehow re retained some semblance of their original form, although it, it strains credulity a little bit to think that, um, you know, again, like you said, knowing how unreliable, it's hard to, it's hard to know exactly what happened when someone tells you a story from a week ago, much less hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So I totally agree with that, uh, with that point. Um, so I take it that 
the idea that it that it could be passed down is is the uh, is what Milman Perry did, of course, with oral uh, traditions, where he showed that you know, oh, people can can perfectly preserve an oral tradition over generations, and then later it was shown that that probably wasn't the case, <laughs> that the people that that he was talking to were probably also deceiving him in that particular instance. <laughs> and there's also a weird disconnect. I mean, Thucydides, for example, can mention things where he says this is an ancient custom. And then we know that it was invented basically the day before. <laughs> Just, you know, if you say this is an ancient custom, it immediately gets the heft of history. So, you know, it's like, oh, that, mm. well, it must be true if he said this. So, so it's, yeah, you have to be careful. Right. So I take it that, and this, uh, this is... Um... I just have to ask. I'm just curious. I, t- I take it that you you think that the actual um, people described in the Iliad, the characters like Achilles, Helen, Agamemnon, that these um, these characters have no basis in Bronze Age history, or were they? Do you view them as kind of fictional characters made up from whole cloth, or? You know, I, I know that there was some evidence that maybe some of these names could be traced back um, into the Bronze Age, uh, possibly. What, what is your take on on the actual the characters, so to speak, of of the epics? So uh, names in Homer have been have been examined in detail and compared to names in Linear B tablets. And uh, a lot of the names and the, the type of names that we find in Homer, we also find in the Late Bronze Age. So Achilles, for example, is a name that you find in Linear B tablets, except in this case, it's it's a shepherd or something. I forget exactly who he was, but um, uh, names like that are found in the in the Linear B tablets. The problem, of course, is that we have no written sources for the early Iron Age, so for the period between the Mycenaean palaces and Homer himself. So these names may have been, were likely, current also during the early Iron Age, just we have no idea. Then there are, of course, the uh, there are a few Hittite documents that people have associated with, you know, a, a possible, you know, the dreaded Colonel of Truth uh, for the Trojan War. So there are references. Uh, these are all dated to the 13th century. Uh, Trevor Bryce, in his book The Trojans and Their Neighbors, gives a, a really detailed overview of these sources. There are three letters um, that refer to Bilusa, which people nowadays assume is is Troy, is Ilion, um, and there's some trouble there. Uh, Bilusa is clearly within the Hittite sphere of influence, and there is some trouble with a, a king of Ahiyawa, uh, and that Ahiyawa has been equated with Achaeans, so one of the words that Homer uses to denote the Greeks. And we know, of course, that there were probably Mycenaeans in Miletus, so, you know, um, and the, the Hittite king accuses the king of Ahiyawa basically of, you know, stoking trouble in Bilusa, and it, it involves an adventurer called Piamaradu, who some people claim uh, is the, the Hittite version of the Greek name Priamos, which of course is King Priam of Troy. Um, so that's a possible name. There is a treaty uh, where an Alexandu of uh, Bilusa is mentioned, and Alexandu is almost certainly the Hittite version of the Greek Alexandros. So he may have been a Mycenaean. Uh, and Alexandros is of course the original name for Paris, the Prince of Troy who uh, steals Helen from Menelaus. So there's all these little bits where people are like, ah, you see, there, there must be some truth to uh, the story of the Trojan War. With this, there, there is some trouble in northwestern Anatolia around Ilion that involves, you know, uh, a Mycenaean king of Ahiyawa, whatever that might be, because we don't know exactly where this Ahiyawa was located, most probably in Asia Minor, perhaps also Rhodes, the island. 
not a reference to the whole of the Mycenaean uh, world in any case. And um, uh, th there was some trouble, and this, this involved characters who may have been called Priam, and one of which was called Alexander. And um, this must be, you know, where the, uh, the truth of the Trojan War lies. Um, Trevor Bryce points out in his discussion of these letters and this treaty that especially the letters are very hard to decipher, that uh, he says something like uh, interpreting these letters is as much art as it is science, uh, that there's a lot of difficulty in deciphering and, and piecing everything together. So he says skepticism is warranted. It's, it's very hard to prove a negative, of course. So right. the, the question, is there some sort of truth to the Trojan War? Uh, it, it's very hard to give a definitive answer to say either yes, something happened or no, absolutely not. Because in the latter case, you're trying to prove a negative. It's impossible to prove a negative. So you can't say, no, I can't sit here and say definitively, no, Trojan War is all imagination. There's nothing to it because that, that would be silly. Um, but on the other hand, you can't also say all th these Hittite letters that we have and these scattered references that we have are definitive proof for something like Trojan War happening because uh, we just don't know. The, there, there's too many unknowns. Like I said, also, you know, we don't know exactly. The, the, the fundamental issue here is assuming that Homer knew something about the late Bronze Age that we can use as a reference. And that's something that seems very dubious. Interesting. So, yeah, so you can't, really, you can't really say we can use Homer as evidence for some war between Mycenaeans and the, the people of Relusa. One big takeaway that I have from this in speaking to a, a few different experts kind of in the Bronze Age, including yourself, is that uh, there still is a lot of uncertainty about what was going on. And I think people have different approaches about how they deal with that uncertainty and the amount of skepticism they might may have in certain cases. Can, can, can you tell us a little bit about what we do know about the Mycenaeans? And I know that's probably a five hour discussion, but I mean, for, for, for people who are just kind of being introduced to this subject, um, you know, we know a lot about classical Greece there was, there's a lot of writing. Um, obviously there's still a lot we don't know about it, but you know, it seems to be something people are a lot more familiar with. Um, whereas the bronze age and the Mycenaeans, you know, we, we see them depicted in some of these video games or films like Troy, but oftentimes based on a lot of your writing, these depictions are really all over the place and they're mixing different time periods they're taking leaps of faith in all kinds of ways. Um, so what do, what do we know about the Mycenaeans? And, and um, you know, I, I think uh, I'm curious, especially kind of about the, the warriors and the, the heroes, so to speak, and kind of the, the warfare that we see. Um, so, yeah, there, about, about the Bronze Age, like you said, there's uh, a lot that we don't know, and that can be very frustrating. Um, I mean, I've, I've also just given a, a course on uh, Bronze Age Crete, and, and there also, very often I had to tell my students, uh, this we just don't know for certain, this we just don't know, this we don't know. We, linear A, we can sort of puzzle out what it is, but, you know, the language, we don't know what it is, etc. So there's a lot of unknowns. With the Mycenaeans, it's slightly better, because 
Um, we have loads of archaeological evidence. We have the linear B tablets, but still uh, there's a lot that we don't know that we really want to know. For example, the, the ruler in uh, Mycenaean Greece is referred to as the Vanax, so the, the king. Um, but when you start looking at what the Vanax did and what he, he does, uh, there's a summary that Cynthia Shelmerdine gives in one of her articles where she says, uh, we get a clear idea of the uh, cultic and religious functions of the Wanax, but not so much his political functions. And we sort of sometimes doubt if he had any political functions. So mm. here too, there is a lot of lot of doubt. And this is one of the reasons why people go, why people latch onto Homer and say, well, you know, if at least we can use Homer as a source for the late Bronze Age, then we will have loads of stuff to fill in. But then, you know when you look at Homer in detail, it becomes very problematic because of all the problems I've already said, you know, all the issues that are in there that, that don't, that don't gel with what we know of the late Bronze Age. So that's where this idea comes from. We should use the Homeric epics. Um, Anthony Snodgrass in the book that I cited earlier has a very nice uh, uh, example. He says that using Homer as a source of the late Bronze Age is like using Shakespeare's Hamlet to figure out what life was like in medieval Denmark. Uh, it's sort of the same thing, except, you know, no one would dare do that with, with Hamlet and, and actual Danish history, but with Homer and the late Bronze Age, it's, people still try to, to do that. So um, if you look at a game like uh, a Total War Saga Troy, I hope I'm, I'm saying, I always just call it Total Troy because... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, I think that's right, yeah. Um, it's... it's uh, uh, you see that they that they mix all this stuff together because they want to they want to have it set in the Bronze Age, but they also want all the Homeric evidence. So what you see is they create this sort of uh, anachronistic stew. So if you look at those warriors, you see that it's a mix of different of stuff from different periods and some fantasy. So they all have these large shields because in Homer, uh, you know, the heroes are described as having these large shields that sometimes cover them from their uh, chin down to their uh, shins. And if you look at Mycenaean uh, evidence, uh, for example, those, let's return to Schliemann's uh, shaft graves uh, in Grave Circle A. There is this uh, lion hunt dagger that's been retrieved there, which shows uh, men fighting uh, lions, basically. And um, they have these large shields. They have figure of eight shields and they have large tower shields, as we call them. And the figure of eight shields are, well, they're shaped like a figure of eight and the tower shields are rectangular. They seem to be semi-cylindrical in that they, they seem to be hollow, um, so curved, let's say. Um, and they're fighting these lions. And people go and look at those and say, ah, you see, there you have the big shields that uh, Homer mentioned. The only problem is that we find these only in the early Mycenaean era, so the early Late Bronze Age. And when you look at those warriors, what else they're wearing, they seem to be wearing uh, like kilts or shorts of some sort and nothing else, maybe a, a helmet on top of their head, but nothing else. Whereas if you look at Homer, they all wear this bronze armor. Ah, but then people say, we also have evidence for bronze armor for the Mycenaean era, which is true, because you have the uh, famous panoply uh, unearthed uh, dendra, and you have uh, linear B tablets from Knossos that feature um, uh, references to corslets. The only problem is that these date from after the period that we have these shields. We don't really find those shields anymore, except one stray pottery fragment of the late 13th century uh, from Tiryns, which may or may not be uh, typical. It's, it's one tiny fragment, so it's very hard to say, oh, you can use this one tiny fragment to postulate the continued existence of these shields. 
when we have this, this Dendra armor, which dates from around 1400 BC, and the, the shaft graves date, you know, from 17th, 16th centuries BC, uh, this is a full panoply. So they wear a, a front and back uh, plate made of bronze. They wear shoulder guards. They have these uh, concerting uh, rings and concertina uh, around their uh, lower legs, basically, uh, upper legs. Uh, this warrior also had uh, greaves. He had one arm guard, maybe two arm guards. Uh, there were two swords found in the grave as well as a Borstas helmet. So people go like, ah, well, here you have, you know, the, the well-greaved, strong-armored Achaeans from Homer. And then you go like, oh, yeah, you do. But, you know, this is later than the evidence we have for the shields. Uh, figure of eight shields are encountered only in art uh, throughout the rest of the late Bronze Age. And already for the earlier bronze age, late bronze age it's uh, mentioned that these shields are probably religious symbols more than actual weapons there's a um, um uh, a very famous wall painting from fera on santorini which dates from before the eruption of the volcano in um, the late 17th century bc we now think based on radiocarbonates where you have this row of warriors with boar's tusk helmets and tower shields only no no figure of eight shields and long spears um so you have these shields in this earlier period, then they seem to disappear. Then you have like this heavy armor, uh, but this seems to disappear around, you know, the middle, late 14th century BC. And this probably uh, connects with the destruction of the Mycenaean palace at Knossos at that point. So the, the Minoan palace is rebuilt partially, taken over by the Mycenaeans, and it's destroyed around the middle of the 14th century BC. This is also associated with the, the story of Theseus and the Minotaur, Theseus traveling to Crete and then destroying the Minotaur. Could be, some have, have said, uh, um, uh, a memory of an Achaean prince, a Mycenaean prince traveling to Crete, destroying the palace there and then going back. Because when that palace is destroyed, what we see is that the bronze trade is disrupted in some way. So large bronze vessels that they used to have, large bronze armor, slowly but surely disappears from the Aegean. So by 1300 BC, we no longer have this heavy armor either. And then we go into the 13th century BC, which is, you know, the, the era usually associated with the Trojan War. And then we see that warriors uh, tend to be very lightly equipped. Um, there are fragments from Pylos, for example, where you have uh, bare-chested uh, men in uh, uh, sort of kilts or uh, short uh, uh, skirts of some sort with maybe leather uh, covering, uh, boar-tusk helmets on their heads, fighting savages and other warriors with, um, uh, they're called savages because they wear animal skins and their hair is unkempt, so they're, they're wild people, let's say. Uh, and they, they fight with long thrusting spears and with short swords, and it's, again, completely different from what you saw before. So only by mixing, so by basically treating the late Bronze Age, like the Mycenaean era, as one big block that doesn't, where nothing changes over the course of centuries and everything is mixed together, you can arrive at something that looks vaguely like a Homeric warrior. You can say, oh, we, we take the, the Dendra armor from around 1400 BC and combine that with those early shields that we find, and then also those uh, uh, shorter stabbing swords that we see from uh, later periods, because in earlier periods they use these long uh, rapiers for, for more fencing-like uh, fighting. Uh, and by combining all of this, uh, we can come up with something that sort of looks like a Homeric warrior. And that's what they've done in the game. 
uh, they also added loads of fantastical elements. I mean, there's all this this uh, elaborate stuff that is completely not based on anything, as far as I know. So by by just ignoring all the the differences over time, which are very interesting, um, they sort of arrive at somewhere and say, "Well, this is the hypothetical Tro Homeric warrior, circa 1200 BC," and it's it's based on strictly speaking it's based on archaeological evidence but it's just it's a mixture of all this different stuff and then a heavy dollop of fantasy on top of that so that's sort well, of the the problem with that well and it's you know there's also a commercial aspect to all of this where you know they're trying to also make sure that they create the coolest looking version i would assume if i'm making a video game or a movie i'm gonna take the spear that looks like this, you know, the coolest spear with the coolest shield, with the coolest helmets, with the, you know, and it's like, again, like you said, this wasn't a monolithic period. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of years, um, you know, and uh, so, you know, yeah, it's, um, I, I kind of think I see a little bit what's happening. It sounds like they, it sounds like some of these different depictions, whether they be film, video games, whatever, they want it to be you know, they have an interest in the, the evidence to an extent, but, um, you know, they want to be able to say that this is rooted in history, but then also be something that looks cool. And, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't have to be perfectly accurate, I guess would be their approach. Yeah, they, um, they, they sort of want to have their cake and eat it. So they want to, right. they want to say, Oh, this is, you know, we strip away the fantastical. So we get rid of the gods. And then, you know, this, we're now going to present it like an actual, like, like history really was it. The, the funniest thing is in the movie Troy, where it starts with this um, uh, text where they dated very firmly to the 13th century BC. And uh, there's even this little line uh, that if Agamemnon doesn't seize Troy, I think Nestor says something like, how long before the Hittites invade? And that always gets a good chuckle out of me because there are no Hittites in Homer at all because Homer had no idea what a Hittite was. Um, but they try to, to, yeah, to give this, this historical veneer. But then when you look at it, and also in the movie Troy, um, Achilles' armor, all, all that, that, that sort of leather armor that they're wearing that that's completely fantastical as far as we know uh achilles brad pitt in the movie wears something like a corinthian helmet so something that's typical of the archaic period in greece not at all the, the mycenaean era um his shield again uh, sort of uh, it has all these abstract patterns it looks nothing like anything we've we've seen from actual history when they go into troy the city the the walls look hittite basically sort of uh, but then inside you have this line of uh, god statues and they're all basically archaic Greek kouroi. So they're all stone statues um, that are typical for like the, the 7th and 6th centuries BC. They have nothing to do with, uh, with the late Bronze Age. We don't have any or very little in the form of monumental sculpture for the late Bronze Age. Just the, the Lion Gate. Um, there's uh, terracotta figurines from uh, Aya Irimi and there's a few other things. But... Um, nothing comparable to any of this. So also in the movie, they, they mix all these different time periods together, which I'm, I'm actually perfectly fine because, you know, it's, it's, you can, you can create like this fictional ancient world. It's just the, where I balk is when they start pretending like this is real history, like what they do in the movie and also what they do with the game. Cause they say, you know, we are revealing the truth behind the myth. And I'm like, no, just don't say that. Just right. say, 
we've made this fun little game based on Homer and we've put in some fantasy ancient stuff. It's perfectly fine. You can do yeah. that. The moment they start saying, oh, this is, you know, this is how it's really like, it, that, that's when it becomes a problem. Well, and it, and it sounds like, you know, Homer, you know, even in the epics, it wasn't necessarily reflecting much about the Bronze Age. And then today we're retelling these stories uh, based on, to some extent, what what the creators think audiences want to see and what's going to be popular for us today. So we're, you know, it's going through these different filters and it's getting pretty far afield from the actual historical truth. And, you know, that's something I'm really interested in in studying um, ancient Greece. We've, we've done uh, a number of episodes about Alexander the Great and we'll be doing more. And one thing I'm always fascinated by is how much faith we can put in some of these sources and things, even some of the written sources when they came hundreds of years later, or they're based on things that happened, you know, that were written at the time, but it's been changed. And, you know, so I think, uh, I tend to think there is some overconfidence, um, you know, in terms of how much, faith people put into the sources that we have you know a lot of times we only have we don't have enough to to really come to a firm vision of of exactly what was happening but people they can't resist doing so anyways um well so I, you, we've covered a lot of ground here uh i think we've covered uh most of um what i wanted to talk about and we're coming up on an hour here there's obviously a lot of other things that I'd love to ask you about. Maybe in a future conversation, um, uh, we could do that. Um, I, I'm curious to hear a little bit about uh, a little more about um, the Ancient World magazine that you're the editor for. Um, it's something that I think I've been referring to over the last few years from time to time, but um, but uh, you know, just now have done a deeper dive into some of the articles. Um, how can people uh, uh, see some of those articles and how can they support the, the work that you are doing? Uh, well, you can just go to ancientworldmagazine.com um, and all the content there is available for, uh, for free. And if you, if you like it, you can support the, the Patreon that we have. Um, the idea behind doing a magazine uh, is because I, uh, I dislike the um, sort of, faux objectivity that an encyclopedia always lays claim to. Uh, so something like Wikipedia or, or ancient history encyclopedia, I mean, I, they, they do fine work, no doubt, but um, I always have a little bit of difficulty with encyclopedias because there's this suggestion that they, that they give objective information about a particular topic. And I think that is impossible, but that's a, you know, a philosophical point. So we, we decided to call it a magazine because we wanted to emphasize that this is um, people, knowledgeable people, because everybody has an academic background in, in the ancient world, basically, who writes for it. Knowledgeable people writing in an accessible way, using their own voice about stuff that they find interesting. And so that's why we went with the whole uh, magazine angle instead of, um, you know, calling ourselves an encyclopedia, which I, I, I would never do. Um, so, and we like I said, we basically write about what we like. There's a, a very large, because all the, the founders basically, would all, we all come from this group of uh, ancient Greek warfare um, studies, let's say. So we're all in, in ancient uh, 
Greek uh, violence warfare, that sort of sort of uh, angle. So there's a very clear um, uh, large amount of the, the stuff that we produce is all on Greece and the Aegean, uh, but we also have a, a stray early Romanist uh, um, running around, uh, Joshua Hall, who also writes about the uh, about ancient Roman, ancient Italy, and Greeks everywhere except in the Aegean. So there's some variety there, and we also get uh, uh, new contributors every once in a while who write about other stuff. So they write about uh, the ancient Near East or Egypt or uh, Rome or what whatever. So there's a lot of variety, but there is no real structure to it. We just write about what we want, what we feel like, and what we think might be interesting. And um, that's what we do. Cool. Awesome. Um, yeah, I love that approach. Uh, because, you know, like you said, you're getting around kind of trying to present stuff as objective and definitive, when a lot of um, this information there, as we've seen on this podcast, there are different viewpoints, there are unknowns, there are, you know, even among the top experts in the world, there are big disagreements about some of what really happened, especially as you go further and further back, you know, to a thousand years before Alexander the Great, let's say. Um, so, um, awesome. Yeah. So ancientworldmagazine.com. I'll be reading a lot more off of there and I, and I can't wait to finish the video. Um, I started it last night and it got too late and I had to stop, but, uh, the video, um, that you did on Assassin's Creed Odyssey is pretty cool because you get to watch the game while you listen to, you analyzing what's historical, what we know, and that kind of thing. So I'll be uh, watching the rest of that today. Um, well, Joshua, is there anything else that you want to point listeners to in order to stay up to date with your research or anything like that? Um, no, maybe just that the, the Assassin's Creed videos I did for um, Invicta History, which is also a, a YouTube uh, channel. So they're, they're trying to produce also um, documentaries on the ancient world. And I also wrote uh, an eight-part series on the Trojan War for them. Um, the first video of which, uh, on the Mycenaean Chariots, was published not too long ago to coincide with the release of, uh, of Total Troy. <laughs> yeah. um, and I wrote on the, the website also some corrections and clarifications for that video. So that's what I'm also going to be doing for, for the future videos that are going to be released. Because it, it turns out between writing a script and the final video being produced. There's a lot of stuff that can change along the way. Um, but Invicta history does good work. Uh, so, um, uh, cool. People might want to check them out. We'll, we'll include all the links that we've talked about, uh, in the show notes, um, at ancientheroes.net when we post the episode. Um, and yeah, for those of you listening who are really interested, genuinely interested in the, what we know about the bronze age and, um, and warfare in early Greece. Uh, this is some of the most detailed information out there that I've come across. It really is a kind of a treasure trove of good information. So, well, thank you, Joshua. I appreciate you talking to us. And um, again, I hope, I hope we can talk again sometime in the future. Sure. My pleasure. And maybe there's one, one thing uh, to mention is the bad ancient website. I don't know. Maybe you can edit it in there or something. Yeah. There's yeah. Bad Ancient was uh, uh, um, uh, a Twitter hashtag that uh, Dr. Owen Rees uh, introduced to identify things that are statements about the ancient world that are clearly wrong. So he would do, you know, quote it and then say hashtag Bad Ancient. So I built the badancient.com website for him 
and we also write articles for that. It's all uh, anonymous, but you can see the whole team that's responsible for writing the articles is on the about page and, and includes me and a few other people also from Ancient World magazine. Um, so we, we write articles there to basically correct wrong ideas about the ancient world. So there's also a bit about, you know, can the Homeric epics be used as a source for the late Bronze Age? Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I, I pulled up the article, uh, are the Homeric epics an accurate source for the Bronze Age Aegean? And I was going through that article um, yesterday. And it's, again, it's great stuff. I need to do, I need to uh, dig deeper into the website. I had only seen one or two articles, but um, we'll include links to that as well. Um, okay, Joshua, thanks a lot. This is great stuff. Uh, keep up the good work and uh, we'll be in touch soon. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you to Derek Fischer for composing the music used in this episode. As always, you can find the links to the different things we talked about and many more articles about the mysteries of the ancient world at ancientheroes.net. Talk to you soon.